Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. Father, may your name be glorified in all the earth. As we open the truth of your word, Father, just uh, remind us of the significance and the importance of what we do. We stand on the shoulders, Father, of believers that have come before us for centuries, Lord, that have studied this exact word. It is absolute truth. It is foundational. Lord, it's the rock upon which we build our lives in Jesus Christ. And so I just pray right now that we would just kind of get the full importance and significance of what we do, Lord, as we study your word. Give us the ability to see and to hear and to understand, Father. Challenge us in our walk and in our faith. And, and, and Lord, I pray that as we do that, you would receive honor and glory. And I pray we would again be transformed a little at a time, more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And as you're finding James chapter 4, uh, let me just encourage you again with what Randy said earlier in the service about our little prayer cards we gave you this morning. I'm very excited about this. I think this is a, a great way to move forward with Easter. And I'm just going to encourage you. You need to have this thing filled out. Uh, I've already got, uh, Amy and I were talking yesterday, we've got four or five couples that we're going to go ahead and write in and begin to pray about today and ask these people to be part of our Easter services. I'm going to encourage you to do that as well. Uh, never, ever underestimate the power of a personal invite. And then we'll talk more about this next week, but we're going to do something kind of cool with our sermon Easter and then the following weeks that will hopefully draw some of these people back in. Uh, maybe some skeptics, people that have not been a part of church in the past. And we want to do everything we can to reach those people, okay? So you be in prayer that God would do an amazing work uh, at Easter, uh, really in every church in our county. But we're going to pray specifically that we would invite people here that God calls us to, uh, um, to, to minister to and to reach. And we're going to pray he does great things. Okay, James chapter 4. We're continuing our study this morning in our series we've entitled Faith in Action. We say it every week. I want to say it again. God calls us to action in our faith, not passive. It's not enough just to sit and soak. It's not enough just to hear and think about. James uses the word doer oftentimes. We're to be a doer and not a hearer only. We're going to see that word again this morning. But James is extremely practical. And so I challenged you last week with some questions, some things that you could ask yourself uh, some things you can do to kind of compare your walk with the walk that we're called to live in Scripture. And, and one of the questions I asked you last week was, what's one way specifically that you've lived out your faith this last week? I think that's a good question to ask. What's something you've done in your life? What, what could you point to last week where you said, this is something I did in which I lived out my faith for others to see? Right now, there's certainly the private time of prayer and study, and of course that's important and really foundational to who we are in our walk with Christ. But there have to be times, there has to be a time where we go out into the world and kind of live out our faith. Maybe that's in front of your family, uh, your spouse, a co-worker. Uh, you're going to have a great opportunity to do that with Easter and inviting people. 
That's a great way over the next several weeks you can live out your faith by asking these people, encouraging these people, praying for these people, however the Lord leads you. But we need to be active in our faith. And so last week, James really challenged us in our walk with the Lord. And he kind of gave us the two different ideas. And he, he reminded us very clearly, and this was kind of difficult for us to see, but it reminded us we can't be friends with God and friends with the world. And we talked about that tightrope that that so many people try to walk and we kind of try to find the middle ground. And and James is real clear in Scripture last week, we need to submit to the Lord, resist the devil, and the Bible tells us that he will flee from us. Now he's going to continue this morning to challenge us. He's going to continue to give us very clear ways in which we can live out our faith. And so we're going to begin this morning in James chapter 4 verse 11. We're going to study basically the last part of chapter 4. So James chapter 4, we have it on the screens. You can follow along as well in your Bible beginning in verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, here's that word again, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Now I want to go ahead and tell you up front, these last few verses in the fourth chapter of the book of James are difficult. They're just kind of hard to get our mind around because the Bible's going to teach one thing, the world is going to scream something else, and we're going to be challenged to kind of figure out how we're going to live. But I want you to kind of hear this truth and understand this truth because James is going to give us some real clear things we ought to be doing in our lives to be active. Here's the first one he gives us. It's right out of Scripture. Verse 1. Or point number 1, right out of verse 11. Don't speak evil against one another. Very clear. The one thing I love about James as we study through James is it doesn't take me a long time to kind of figure out his main point. He's real clear. He doesn't beat around the bush. He's not confusing in what he says. He doesn't mince words. It's just real clear. Don't speak evil against one another. Now, what does it mean to speak evil? Well, there, there are a lot of different things we could say. A lot of different phrases could explain this. We, we, could, we could say that speaking evil means using rude comments. That would be speaking evil against somebody. Or, or gossiping against someone. Or speaking in anger or speaking in bitterness. Or there are a lot of different ways we could talk about speaking evil. The word we might use in our society today is slander. We, sh- we shouldn't slander another person. Basically, if you're saying something mean or angry or bitter against another person, you are speaking evil against that person. The, the word and the idea is the same. You, you may remember in the Old Testament when the, when the people of Israel were in captivity in Egypt and they were brought out of Egypt into the wilderness with Moses. You may remember the story. They wandered for 40 years. And there came a point, even though they'd been brought out of captivity, they were no longer slaves, they were free. There came a point where they kind of grumbled and they were upset with the Lord and they were upset with, them, with Moses. And the Bible literally says in Numbers 21.5, the people spoke against God and Moses. It's the same idea that James uses. They're, they're speaking evil against the Lord. They're slandering the Lord. They're making rude comments. And James says to us, there's no place as a believer to speak poorly about somebody else. But now here's what we do. We would all agree with that in public. I'm not going to stand here and publicly speak poorly against you 
But I'll get home and I'll call my friend and I'll talk about you behind your back, won't I? Or I'll text somebody and, can you believe they did this? Or, or the, the, I guess the kind of sly Christian way is I'll bring it up in Sunday school class as a prayer request. Now we may think we're kind of being cool and coy, but the Lord knows our hearts. And then James kind of challenges us right here. When, when you speak evil against somebody, pull up verse 11 again. When you speak evil against somebody, a brother, uh, you're speaking evil against, look at the, the middle part of verse 11. You're speaking evil against the law and you're judging the law. Now that, that's an interesting idea. Because James is going to use the word law here and, and judging, and we're going to get the last part of verse 11 here in a second. That's an important idea for us. But James says, when you speak evil against someone, is as if you're kind of speaking against the law. And we think, what, what does the law have to do with speaking evil against somebody? Well, just remember, James speaks on a couple of different occasions uh, in his letter about the Old Testament law. And we know that the, the, when Christ came and lived on earth, he, he summed up the law in kind of two commands. The first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? That's the first command. But the second is like it to what? Do you remember? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so when James says, listen, when you speak evil against the brother, you're speaking evil against the law, you're basically taking what Christ commanded, how Christ commanded us to live, how Christ commanded us to kind of live out the law, you're taking that law and you're speaking evil against it, you're kind of sinning against what the Lord told you to do because Christ would have us love and be kind and when you speak evil, you're not doing it. And I want you to notice where James goes with this because this is where some confusion comes in for believers. Look at verse 12 if you would. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Now keep that verse up just for a second because that, kind of the, the last part of verse 12, is kind of the cry of our society today, isn't it? They would say something like this, well, who are you to judge me? I mean, who are you to make a determination about what's best in my life? And, and so we hear words like intolerance, right? We, we hear people talking about believers or Christians and, and saying to you, you know, it may be right for you, maybe good for you, it may be the way you want to live your life, but don't judge me, don't make a determination in my life. And oftentimes they'll pull verses like James 4.12 and they say, look, the Bible even says to you, don't judge your neighbor. And so I want to just camp out here for a minute because I think this is, this is an area that a lot of Christians struggle in and I think they've bought into that lie that the world teaches and it's caused us to be afraid sometimes to be timid in the way we live our lives and instead of maybe sharing our faith and calling people to repentance instead we back off because we don't want to seem like we're judging and so let's understand first of all what James is actually talking about and then let's apply that to our lives at verse 12 he's very clear there's only one lawgiver and judge and that, that's the Lord the scripture is very clear there was only one ultimate lawgiver and one judge. The Lord gave the law in the Old Testament. He's the judge of the law. And he describes him, kind of in the middle part of verse 12, he who is able to save and destroy, right? So, so that's important for us, that, that middle line right there. He's speaking of the Lord as the lawgiver. The Lord is the one who can save and destroy. So in James, in this context, and then we need to be careful to understand this. This is, this is uh, kind of significant understanding in this text. When James speaks of the one who can save, 
save and destroy as the judge. And he tells us not to judge our neighbor. He's speaking in ideas of salvation, right? Because only the Lord can judge your salvation. Only the Lord can save you. Only the Lord can make that determination. Whether or not you've accepted Christ is between you and the Lord. Now, I want to be part of that. I want to help you. I want to encourage you and counsel you and challenge you. But ultimately, your decision to follow Christ is your decision to follow Christ. It's not mine. I'm very careful. If I'm sharing faith with somebody and I'm I'm kind of leading them to to the gospel and to salvation, I'm, I'm very careful to say to people now, listen, I don't want you to pray this because you think I want you to pray it. I want you to pray this because you understand your sin and the need for repentance and you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not about me making the decision for you. It's about you making the decision for yourself. And so James says there's only one who can judge our salvation. There's only one who can judge if someone has come to saving faith in Christ. So we're not to judge people's salvation, right? It's between you and the Lord. But the the problem we run into when we begin to read this and we take a look at this section of Scripture is what I said just a few minutes ago. There are so many people that would use this text, especially verse 12, to say to us, it's none of your business what I say or what I do. You can't judge me. Well, I want to be very careful to understand what James means here and what other parts of Scripture mean. James is saying to us, we we can't judge somebody's salvation, but he's not saying we can't speak truth into somebody's life that's living in sin. There's a difference. In fact, I would say to you biblically, and James is going to say it, and we'll see it here in just a few minutes, that if there is a brother or sister in Christ who's living in sin, we ought to help them recognize their sin as part of what we do. I had the opportunity yesterday, I went to the mall late last night, I say late, it was probably about 6 o'clock, and it's neat to me how, how the Lord has given me these last few weeks some, some very real illustrations and examples of what this text means and how it plays out in people's lives. Because we would say, the world would say, listen, don't judge me, uh, it's none of your business what I do, kind of mind your own business, Christian, right, you do what's good for you, I'll do what's good for me. So I'm walking out of the mall last night about 6 o'clock. Uh, and I'm walking to my car, I'm getting my keys, you know, I'm looking for, where did I park, you know, the thing, I'm going to my car. And I, I notice over here there's a couple of people having a conversation. That's the nice way to put it. And I just kind of, you know, I saw and I, I kind of started, as I'm walking, I'm watching because they were kind of in this heated discussion. There was a man who was kind of walking away towards the mall and a lady at her car. And I don't know what they said, I don't know how the discussion started, but they were heated in the things they were saying, yelling very loud, not really nice language, I'm glad my kids weren't with me because anybody within a couple of hundred yards could have heard it, they were pretty loud, and she kept screaming at this guy, mind your own business, that's what she kept saying to him. It's none of your business what I'm doing. And I don't know what they were, I don't know what the discussion was, I don't know how it started, but I thought, you know, that's the mindset of the world. What I do is none of your business. What you do is none of my business. Here's the problem with that. The, the, the scripture teaches us that it's our responsibility as believers to correct and help one another. It, it's our responsibility as believers to, to understand God's truth and help each other apply that to our lives. And so we study scripture and we begin to understand, listen, there are a lot of things in scripture that tell us how we should live. 
There are, there are a lot of words in Scripture that tell us how we should walk. And in fact, if we were to kind of take a step, let's set Scripture aside just for a second. We'll come back to it, I promise. But let's set it aside for a second and think about this idea of judging. We hear the world say that it's none of your business, don't judge me. But in fact, in, in the world, we judge things all the time, don't we? I mean, students, let's just ask, let's start with our students. Any of you guys turned in, a, if you're a student, turned in an assignment in the last couple of weeks, raise your hand. Okay. Put them back down. Did the, did the teacher judge whether or not you answered the questions appropriately or did a good job on your essay? That's kind of their job, isn't it, right? You probably got a paperback with some red ink on it. Hopefully it was one of the letters of the alphabet kind of close to the top. Maybe it dropped down a little bit for some of that. But the teacher's job is to judge your work, right? We, we understand that. If you go sit on a jury, what's your job? To judge innocence or guilt, Right? We, we have all these opportunities in our lives to, to judge people and to make determinations. In fact, when somebody does something wrong against us and we forgive them, in a sense, we've kind of judged what they've done. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to think what they did was wrong in order to forgive them. And so what we see is, is the Bible is filled as we kind of think about what James teaches and we think about what the New Testament says. That the Bible is, is filled with certain parameters and guide for our life that are used to judge our conduct. Do you understand that? Paul's teachings, the, the Ten Commandments, all through the New Testament. In fact, if you've, if you've got your Bibles, I don't have it on the screen, but I want you to notice James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. I'm going to read it to you if you don't. James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth... And someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James says, listen, we, we, we need to be aware of God's truth. We need to be aware of the believer that is erred from God's truth. We need to be aware of kind of judging what they're doing and bringing them back. Not based on what we think is right, but based on the truth of God's word. I'll never forget several years ago, I woke up in the middle of the night. We were at our, before we moved, we woke up in the middle of the night and our, our bedroom uh, wall was kind of glowing orange. It's a strange way to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I sat up in bed and as I kind of came to my senses, I realized it was coming through our window. I looked through the window and our, our neighbor's house behind us was on fire. Just, I mean, completely engulfed in flame. And I'll never forget walking outside from, my, from, from the back door of my house to the back door of my neighbor's house. It was probably 100 feet, maybe a little farther. And I'll, I'll never forget opening the door and just feeling heat from that far away. Is that, if you've ever seen a house that's engulfed in flames, you'll understand it. But, but I, I just thought about this, and I, I thought about people that, that, that get caught in fires and house fires. And I thought, you know, if, and the people there were out. They weren't at home, no danger, everybody was safe, nobody got hurt. But I thought, you know, if you woke up in the middle of the night and your neighbor's house was on fire and you knew they were home asleep, what would you do? You'd probably go do anything you could to get them out, wouldn't you? Beat on the door, bang on the window if you thought they were still sleeping. You'd probably try to break a window and get in their house to save them. You'd do anything you could to alert them, right? So we understand when people are walking in danger, part of our calling is to help them and to save them. It's the same thing with Christianity. If there's a brother or sister that's walking in sin, that's stepped away from the things of the Lord, that's kind of doing things that are harmful, part of our calling as a believer is to kind of walk into that person's life and with love and truth guide them back to the things of the Lord. That's kind of our responsibility. It's kind of what the Lord's called us to do. But here's the problem, right? We, we, we've 
kind of fallen into this trap over the years of not being judgmental according to the world's standards. We've fallen into this trap of not wanting to seem intolerant. And so we just shied away from that. And I believe it really affects a lot of our witness. I believe it affects the way we deal with other people. Listen, I just want to be clear biblically. There's nothing wrong with calling people to repentance. That's what Jesus did. Repent, that's what he said. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It may not be popular. It may not be what the world says we ought to do. But it's our calling in this world. That's who Christ calls us to be. So James cautions us. Don't don't judge salvation. Be, Be careful the way you do it. Do it in love. But it's okay if we bring our neighbor back into the fold. It's okay if we speak truth. Now let's continue with this line of thinking in verse 13. Let's keep going here. Is it 1030? 1029. Perfect. I had a long time. Let's keep going. Verse 13. 25? That clock is way wrong in the back. That's okay. Good. I got five whole minutes. James 4, 13. Here we go. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? This is a great... If you're underlining or taking notes, write this down. For you are a mist... That appears for a little time and then vanishes. What a great way to kind of think about our lives in view of eternity. Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is a sin. Here's truth number two. The Lord, very simply, is in control of our life. Now, I love how James begins verse 13. Pull verse 13 up if you would for me, please. Come now. Right? Like, seriously. Like, come on. You're you're being silly if you say today or tomorrow we're going to do these things, right? Because you don't really have any idea what you're going to do tomorrow. Why? Because the Lord's in control. James is basically kind of in a a kind way saying, we are foolish if we believe we're going to make plans outside of the will of the Lord. I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. James says, you you think you know, (laughs) but you're really just kind of fooling yourself. Because James says, listen, here's who you are in comparison to eternity. Bring verse 14 up again. He says, you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, right? If you compare your life to to the understanding of all eternity, you're a fraction of a fraction of a fraction to just keep on going, right? You're just a tiny little sliver when you compare yourself to eternity. James says, listen, you're just a mist. Your life, as important as you may think it is, is a mist that appears and then disappears, right? We, We need to understand our lives in the context of understanding that God is in control of all things. Our life is temporary. God is eternal. We think we make decisions. God really controls all things. And so James kind of cautions us there in verse 16. Pull that up if you would. You're, you're, You're really being arrogant and you're boasting when you speak like that. Because here's what we do, right? We, we look at our lives and we look at the things we've accomplished and maybe our, our jobs and the things we've done and our families and some sort of things that we've won in the past. Whatever you fill in the blank of your accomplishments and your accolades over the years. And it's easy for us to become prideful, isn't it? 
pretty good at this. You know, I made a lot of money or I've been real successful. And James says, listen, you need to be careful. You're boasting and you're arrogant. And such boasting is what? Evil. Why? Because you're kind of taking away the sovereignty of the Lord, right? God's not really in control. I am. That's what you're saying. You know, I look at this church... And I look at what God has done at this church in, in almost 50 years now. We're kind of coming up on 50 years. And it'd be easy for us to boast about things we've done here, wouldn't it? Things we've accomplished. I mean, you think about all the people that have come to know Christ over the years and the, the buildings we've built and the money we've raised and the mission trips we've taken, all the things that we've done. It'd be very easy for us to boast and brag. But here's the truth. We need to be very careful when we look at what God's done here. Everything that happens here is because the Lord willed it to. You understand that? I mean, I, I hope I live a long time and can be your pastor for a long time. But if I die tomorrow, guess what? God's still in control. He'll bring somebody else to sin right here and to preach the word just like I have, just like Preacher Max did for the last 50 years. Why? Because he's God. We're very foolish when we boast about what we've done and, and, and what we've accomplished because God says, listen, it's in my hands. I've got a plan. I'm going to do great things, but I'm in control. So here's what we do. We, we, we kind of take one of two uh, approaches or, or kind of two thoughts. One of the thoughts is, well, I'm just not going to do anything. I mean, the Lord's in control, right? I'll just kind of sit around and, and wait on him to answer and I'll wait on him to do. And, and, and that's not the answer either. And the other side of the coin sometimes is, well, I'm just going to do everything outside of the will of the Lord. I'm going to plan it and figure it out and, and God can figure out what he wants to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Neither is correct. And so I want to give you here just for a few minutes, I want to give you what I think are just four very simple steps to including and, 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 and speaking with and involving the Lord in your plans, right? Because think about it like a tension, Right, the Lord is in control and guiding and directing, but he still calls us to pray and to plan and to make wise choices. There's this tension here. And so the idea is we plan and we prepare as we're praying and seeking the will of the Lord. you understand that? So four very, very quick things. These are going to sound obvious to some, but let me, just be, let me just be very clear here. It's not necessarily what we know, but more about what we do. All of you guys are going to know these four things. I'm not going to give you any earth-shattering news you haven't heard. The question is not, do you know it? The question is, are you doing it? Are you a hearer only or are you a doer? So as we make plans and move forward with our future, four steps to plan while trusting the Lord. Number one, begin the process in prayer. Sounds simple, sounds obvious. How many are doing it? Uh, we, we make difficult decisions and we start with a sheet of paper and we draw the line down the middle of the paper. You ever done this? Pros and cons. And we start listing out the pros, we list out the cons. And a lot of times we'll make a decision based on which one's got more, which, one, which side is better than the other, which side resonates in my heart more. And that's not a bad way to make decisions, but that should come in the process of praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Aside from the pros and the cons, what's your will for my life, Lord? How do you want to work through this? How do you want to guide me in this process? So we, we always begin with prayer. Number two, seek the guidance of God's word. So sometimes we'll pray. Maybe we'll spend a few minutes praying about a decision. But when's the last time we kind of look through God's word to see if the Lord would speak to us through his word about a decision we're making? And I said, well, how is God going to, in, in his word, tell me whether I'm supposed to take this job or not? Well, God's not going to give you specific answers to your personal life story. But what God is going to do is give you biblical principles by which you make decisions. 
And so all the things you need to know and the principles you need to understand are found in God's word. And as you begin to apply those to your life, guess what? The Lord's going to speak to you. The Lord's going to guide you. The Lord's going to direct you. Third, seek the guidance of godly counselors. I think this is one sometimes we often miss, especially if we're a little bit younger. Maybe, maybe we fail to go and ask questions of people that are wiser than us. Maybe we don't surround ourselves with godly people. Let me, let me just say this. This is an interesting kind of discussion in modern church. You know, should we segment based on age? Should we have this group of people that are this age? And, and I think there's some value in that. But I think one of the problems is you get a group of certain age, let's say 20-somethings together, and they surround themselves by 20-somethings. And that's a great place to be, and we want to surround ourselves with people who love us. But what about the 60-somethings that have been the 20-somethings and have had children that are the 20-somethings and have a lot of wisdom to speak life into the 20-somethings' age, right? Sometimes we, we, we segregate ourselves based on our age, and we miss the wisdom of godly counselors. Sometimes we miss the wisdom of the man or the woman that has kind of been there, done that. And so I would just encourage you as you make decisions, as you're praying, as you're studying God's word, seek out godly people that you trust that can speak truth into your life. And then fourthly, finally, proceed in the fear and the wisdom of the Lord. Even as you begin to make that decision, even as you begin to move forward, you're still trusting the Lord, you're still seeking the Lord, you're still praying, you're still seeking godly wisdom, you're still reading your Bible, you're still trusting Him in all things. Because God is in control, God is going to use you, but you still need to plan, you still need to make decisions. You do those things together. Lord, I'm going to make this decision about my life as I pray, as I study your word, as I seek godly counsel, as I trust you more. Right? There's this tension we keep. Now, we need to finish up verse 17, the last verse, and, and, and maybe the most difficult. And I said these are some difficult things to look at this morning. Verse 17, James four seventeen. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. So truth number three, just right out of the scripture, if you know the right thing to do and don't do it, it's a sin. If you know the right thing to do and don't do it, it's a sin. Now, here's what I mean by this. I want to be very clear. We're pretty good as mature believers of knowing what we should not do. Right, so we shouldn't do the, you know, you kind of, whatever it is, you don't do these things, right? We know that these things are wrong, that we, we get it, we, we stay away from those things. We know not to do those things. But here's our failure oftentimes. There are a lot of things the Lord tells us to do that we don't do. A couple of very simple examples. We see all through Scripture that it's our job to evangelize, to reach the lost. Now, we would all say, yep, that's right, I know that's right, I know that's what I'm supposed to do, I know that's my calling, and yet we fail to do it. And just to be very clear, James would say to you, pull the verse up again, 17 if you would please, if you know the right thing to do and don't do it, to him it's a sin. So if you know that evangelism is the thing you're supposed to be doing and you're not doing it, you're sinning. It's not enough just to not do the wrong things, we also need to be doing the right things. I'll give you another clear example. The Bible over and over calls us to make disciples. That's, that's our calling. So if you're not actively making disciples, James says you're sinning. It's not enough just to not do the wrong things. We also need to make sure we do the right things. I'll never forget several years ago. I've, I've told this story before, so if you've heard it, I apologize. But I think it just, it, it just fits so well with this verse because of the mistake I made in my life. We were in, we were in Louisville, Kentucky. 
several years ago with our kids, and they were younger, and this was back when I was still in seminary, and I was up there for a class, and we'd gone, uh, we, had a, we, we went up early, and it was, a, I think, a Sunday afternoon, we took the family downtown, and downtown Louisville, there's a, a neat little water park, and there's a, literally, a, there's kind of this lazy river that runs through the city down to the river, and there, there are places to sit and picnic, and it's real shallow, and kids just come and play, it's kind of this playground, this water playground, so we are taking the kids down there for the afternoon. And as we're getting out of the car, and our kids are still little, right? And so if you've got little kids, you've got like uh, strollers and sippy cups and all the snacks and juice and you know, all the stuff you have to pack for an afternoon at the park. And so we're unloading our car, and, and I look off in the distance, and, and over by the water park, I, the Lord just kind of hones me on this one guy. I just see him sitting right there. And in that moment, the Lord said, you need to share your faith with that guy. I mean, I got a stroller and a sippy cup and two kids. And I mean, come on, Lord. Okay. So I get everything together. We start walking. You know, you have to walk a good ways to get there. And we, we cross over the little bridge. And, and the Lord just kind of, I see the guy again. He's still sitting there by himself. You need to share your faith with that guy, Adam. Okay. So we go sit down. Get everybody situated, you know, and, and make sure everybody's ready to go take the shirts off, put the lotion on, whatever, ready to get down in the little water. And I happen to see the guy again. He's up behind me now, sitting, he hadn't moved, he's 20 or 30 feet up behind me, sitting there on the little bench. And the Lord says, you need to get up and go share your faith with that man. And, and as I'm convincing the Lord that he's wrong, you ever done that? As I'm convincing the Lord he's mistaken, I feel a tap on my shoulder. And I turn around, it's that guy. And he's standing there, and it turns out he's a Jehovah's Witness. Now, let me just tell you this. If you don't know anything about the Jehovah's Witnesses, they pride themselves. And you say a lot about them, but they're active in their faith, I'll tell you that. They pride themselves in walking up to your door and sharing their faith. And they laugh at you because you don't. Did you know that? They say, well, who are you? I mean, why don't you go and share your faith? We're actually in your neighborhood. At least we have the guts to come to your house and tell you what we believe. Why don't you do the same, right? And so this man is, is sharing his... Now, we 45 minutes, it was turned into kind of an, an argument. You can imagine it didn't go the way I had hoped it would go. 45 minutes later, we just agreed to disagree and part of ways. But I got back to my car, and later that I was so convicted because the Lord said to me, I told you what to do, and you didn't do it. Could you, have, could you imagine, Adam, this is the Lord as I prayed, could you imagine if you had gotten up and been active in your faith and shared your faith with that man, the very man that, that prides himself in going and sharing his faith with others, if you had initiated the conversation, do you know what a difference you could have made in his life? I still think about that guy. For a long time after that, I prayed pretty regularly for him. I don't know where. I'll never see him again, probably. I hope to one day see him in eternity. My fear is I won't. James just reminds us, you know, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, it's a sin. Just, just imagine the impact we could have on this world if we simply obeyed the calling of the Lord. And so I'm just going to kind of end with this challenge. Where, where are you this morning? Are you trusting the Lord? Are you active in your faith? Are you hearing the Lord call and studying his word? Are you obeying him? Are you allowing your faith to guide you and direct you? Are you trusting him in all things? Because I promise you, if you'll allow the Lord to speak into your heart, into your life, if you'll take your faith and make it active, God will do great things through you for his kingdom, for his honor, and for his glory. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you again for the truth of your word. It is challenging and convicting and exciting and uplifting, Father. Because we we know there is a plan. We know there's a strategy, Lord. We know that you're at work in all sorts of ways. And Lord, we're just thankful that your word gives us direction, clear understanding. Father, give us the strength and the courage to obey. (laughs) Give us the strength and the courage to obey, to be active. To do what you've called us to do, Father. To, To live lives of obedience. Not to speak poorly against one another, Father, not to be rude in the things we say, but to love one another enough to, to encourage and to, and to challenge other people in their faith. And then, Father, I, I pray as we're active, as we seek you, as we trust you more and more, you would use us, Father, to do great things for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, we love you and we serve you and we pray all these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open, of course. You can come and pray. You can come speak to me. But this is just an opportunity for you to respond as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.